All right. Well, wherever you are right now, we're thankful you're here because this is the last Sunday of Summer in the Prophets for this year. Then we're going to do it again next year, so I'm excited. We've been walking through the Minor Prophets. Uh, it's not going to be hard to do this today, but I believe you can. Let three people know right now, God loves you and not just the Sunday you. Come on. God loves you and not just the Sunday you. I'm talking to you online. God loves you and not just the Sunday you. God loves you and not just the Sunday you. I'm saying God loves you and not just the Sunday you. If you get nothing out of today, that's it. God loves you and not just the Sunday you. The curlers in the hair, you know, everything. When I had my curlers in this morning and I had my cap on, whoo, y'all should have seen me. It's all right. You too. Yes. See? That's why you need that banana bread. Y'all missing out. I'm telling you, if you ain't coming to church this morning, you're missing out on something that we're going to talk about today. Love. Love. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking about love as we are in the book of Hosea today. We're going to talk about love. Because here's the thing. How many of us today, uh, Leah's got my back because she's on this side. So how many of us today, for real, have you ever um, had something and it just wasn't what it was supposed to be? Like you wanted something so bad and it just didn't work out the way that you thought it would be. How about this? How many of us made room in our house for something because this sofa was going to be the one and it just never fit? It was never right. It was not the right thing. We did everything in our life to make room for it, and it just didn't work out. So all of us have those stories, right, where, man, it just wasn't what I thought it would be. You know, like I tried to go on American Ninja Warrior, and I didn't even make it, I didn't even make it on the concrete to get there, right? I wouldn't even make it in the crowd. But now how many of us today, instead of that investment that didn't work out, that relationship that was broken, the surefire way to make money that just did nothing but cost you money, how many of us today have ever done the thing that seemed too good to be true and it was just right. You got there and the deal was just, it just, it was just right. I mean, it seemed too good to be true, but it was just right. See, that's where Israel is in the book of Hosea. They made room for things in their life that weren't supposed to be in it. And the thing that was too good to be true, God's promise, God's blessing, his chosen people, they didn't want anything to do with that but it was exactly what they needed. And that's the perspective I want us to have today as we go into the book of Hosea. So if you've got your Bible, let's go ahead and get to Hosea 1. And we're gonna go through Hosea today. Not every chapter, every book. We're gonna do our best to make sure uh, that, we can, that you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free for the asking. We say it all the time. It's an NIV Bible. It's very small print. I need new glasses because this large print ain't big enough. Soon enough, I'm gonna have one of those big family Bibles that is giant print because that's what I need. But maybe that's you today and you like to do it on your phone you're in the same boat you can do that on our vine church app today go to vine.tv slash app but always i'm so thankful zach make sure wherever you're watching around the world that you can see the scripture wherever you're watching around the world i miss seeing your smiling face if you're watching or listening around the world so that being said let's get to hosea you're in hosea hosea one hosea itself i'm going to contain my excitement if you're reading the bible plan i told you it's going to be hard for me today to contain it but hosea means salvation, all right? Uh, Hosea can be translated as Hoshea, all right, uh, which was a terrible king of Israel. Don't, don't, don't read into that. But Hoshea translates to Yeshua or Joshua. What? 
Y'all know I get excited. We talked about Joshua. Joshua, that was actually the name of Jesus. We know Jesus. That's the Greek word, Jesus. You're welcome. People get real excited about that. And when somebody says you don't even know the name of Jesus, it's the Greek word, Jesus, that you don't know. His name is Yeshua. You can go ahead and tell them Allah is not who you think he is. I serve Yahweh. So let's figure out what that is. But we'll open that tomb and that wound another day. But Yeshua is Jesus' name. It's another name for Joshua. Remember when Joshua goes into the promised land and he leaves Israel there, his name changes from salvation or deliverer to Yoheshua, which is God delivers. But Jesus was known as Yeshua. So this is why Hosea points to Jesus. Y'all have a good day. That's it. Salvation. Salvation is where it is. So when Hosea writes this, it's one of the oldest books in the Old Testament. But Amos, that we just finished, uh, is actually a little bit older, by about 30 years or so. But when Hosea writes this, he's writing it to the northern kingdom of Israel. So really quickly, if you remember, there are 10 tribes in the northern kingdom. Uh, They're about to go into captivity uh, and actually are not going to be able to come back. More on that in a little bit. And then there's a southern kingdom of Judah, which is the tribe of Benjamin and Judah. And the reason we know that and we walk through that is, remember, out of the smallest tribe, the tribe of Judah, is where the Messiah will come out of. And that's why Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. So this is the northern kingdom of Israel when Hosea writes this. And what I've been excited about as we go through this is we've been working backwards for a reason. Today you're going to hear the same themes, the same thing we've heard all the way through. But the reason that we're doing that is before we get to them going into exile, we have to see God's constant warning. His check engine light has been flaring all the way through, and Israel continues to ignore it. When he writes this, what happens is Israel has experienced God's blessing. They're in his promised land. They've had plenty. It is the most prosperous time they've ever had. And instead of giving praise to Jesus, instead of giving, excuse me, praise to God, to Yahweh for it, they're like, hey, man, that golden cow is the reason we got it all. That's why Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday, but we won't open that because cow, get it. Anyway, you'll get it in a minute. So all that to say, they give the credit to the wrong God. They're in the midst of the best season they've ever had. The bank account's full. The family is happy. We got vineyards. We are rolling in the dough and everything's good. So I give it to the Federal Reserve because the interest rates were low. They don't give it to God. But you'll see in Hosea, in short order, Assyria is about to siege Israel. The same Assyria that Israel tried to have partner with them to defeat Judah. Isn't that crazy? So when Hosea writes this, it's really all but short order as we go through the minor prophets where Israel's about to fall. Judah falls later to Babylon. But the only reason we have the book of Hosea is it was smuggled from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom when Israel was falling. So that's why you have sprinkles of Judah in there as well when it comes to the book of Hosea. It's really cool we have that. So the first three chapters, really quickly, is Hosea's personal story. After that is God talking about what he has against Hosea. So that's where we're going to pick up, Hosea's personal story. So we're going to get personal today, y'all. You ready? Give me an amen. Amen means truth. We love it, Jesus. Here we go. Give us your truth. It says this in Hosea verse two, or chapter 1, verse 2 through 3. It says this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, great name, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, if you've never read this, you're just like, what in the world is God like just today? What if I said, hey, you know what? 
Jesus told me to go down to the red light district. I was singing Sting and the Police, and this person showed up, and he told me to marry this person. Ask Jimmy Swaggart how that worked out, right? We would think that you're crazy. There's no way that God told you to do that. Hosea, I don't know what pipe you're smoking, but you need to put it down and go back and consult what's happening. But we see why God told him to do it. He said, this is actually your personal life as a prophet, and you being obedient to me is actually going to show the relationship between Israel and me. Israel and me. And so God just gives him that, and we see how it's going to work out. And the problem that we see with Israel all the way through, and we're going to talk about why God was angry with them in a minute, but the reason they are like a prostitute is Israel has forgotten the Ten Commandments, specifically the first one. If you were to go read in Exodus 20, I don't know how many of us had to remember back in the day in RAs or Awanas or Sunday school memorizing the Ten Commandments? Nobody. Wonderful. So that being said, wherever you are, the first commandment, Exodus 23, if you read it, Exodus 22, the Lord says, I'm the Lord your God, the one who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. And the first commandment is this, thou shalt not put no other gods before me, all you King James people. You're ready. You're excited for that. But you can't put any other God before me. And what did we just say Israel's done? This golden cow has given us our prosperity, not God. So they have put another God before him. And it wasn't just that. There's two other gods they worship that they think is more important than God as they go through this. So all of a sudden we see that is why Israel is a prostitute. Remember the cycle of Israel. In other words, the reason they talk about that is I know we love the pretty woman story and we think that that's how it's supposed to work out. But that isn't how it's supposed to work out. That isn't how this works out. What happens is Israel rebels against God. God disciplines Israel. They come to repentance and say, God, we have turned from our ways. And within a generation, Israel sins again. And it's cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle. It's like parents, you know, clean your room. Did you clean your room? Uh-huh. Why is your door shut? Why can't I go in there? What do you mean? Did you clean your room? Uh-huh. No, they, did. they don't clean their room. Check under the bed. If I could have had a rug big enough, I would have made room for that. And who cares about the hill that's on it? It's a racetrack I was building. That's not dirty clothes or the stank, right? Like, wherever we are, that's where Israel is. They only repent just to keep sinning, just to delay God's judgment. And God is saying, I've had enough of that. So, Jose and Gomer get together. We're not going to read all the way through it, but they have three children, if you're doing our Bible Devo plan, you'll be excited about that because we're kind of de- digging a little deeper. So uh, it says right there, we just raised, she gave birth to a son. The first son's name is Jezreel. Sounds a lot like Israel, doesn't it? And it means God will sow, or in other words, God will scatter. So Jezreel's the first one. The next one is Lo-Ruhama, Lo-Ruhama, and that's a daughter they have. And that means not loved or no mercy. So the first son is born, And it means God will scatter his people, or he will sow, he will scatter his people. The second one is you will no longer get God's mercy. You are not loved. And then she has a son that's named Lo-Ami, Lo-Ami, which means not my people. So here, if you you read Hebrew and you want to know a little bit about Hebrew, whenever you see the word Elo, replace it with an N. I can say N-O, because that's what that means. Anytime you hear about Lodabar, remember that's a place where they have, it's a wasteland, it's empty, they have no fruitfulness, like Lohurama means not loved. Okay, so no. So they have that. And so what happens is she has three kids and she said, I've had enough, I'm out. I ain't keeping these kids. I ain't got time for them. So she steps out and leaves Hosea. And that's what chapter two is all about. Not only did Hosea, now imagine where Hosea is at this. God, didn't you tell me to marry this woman? And now all of a sudden, she's had enough of me. She's going to go live with another man. 
But we see at the end of Hosea 2, and if you want to go ahead and flip to Hosea 3, you're going to see right before that in verse 22 and 23. We're only going to have Hosea 3 up on the board in a minute. We're going to see how God redeems the names of those children. Really quickly, it says uh, he's going to respond to Jezreel. He says instead of Jezreel being God will sow or God will scatter, he said he will plant his people Israel. And he will show love to the one who is not my love. That's what lohurama means, right? Like no love. If you read another translation, it'll say no mercy. I will now show them mercy. And he says the people who are not his people will now be his people and he will call them their God. And then we pick up in Hosea 3. So after God's had him pick all of this up, Hosea 3, verse 1 through 2 says this, The Lord said to me, Go, show love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. See, we're safe today. We have banana bread. There weren't no raisins in it, so we're good. Sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. See, God still loves Israel in spite of Israel. Just like you and me when we were stuck in our sin, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved them. Hosea goes back. He takes Gomer as his wife. It points to how God, it makes me think of the prodigal son, how the, the father is standing there with open arms if we are willing to walk in it. See, what he told Israel is you could stay in my promise, you could stay in my blessings, but it required one thing, you to keep my ways, Israel. And they just couldn't do it. And I'm gonna be honest with you, neither can you and I. Before we beat them up, none of us can. I'm gonna tell you why. Because what did Jesus say? The law and the commands are fulfilled in two things, right? The, the law and prophets hang on two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I love saying, have you seen my neighbor? They probably say the same thing. Have you seen my neighbor? Like, right, more on that in a minute. But God still loves Israel. He's still saying there's redemption in this. Now, when it says he was bought for 15 shekels, sometimes that gets lost in translation, and you'll see scholars fight back and forth. But realistically, if you were to look back in the Old Testament, oh, everybody's going to get excited where I'm going to tell you. In Leviticus 27, because y'all have memorized all of that, I know, right? Leviticus 27.4 and Exodus 21, what we look at this 15 shekels and a, and a, homer, a, a homer and a lethic of barley. So a Simpson was in there. But a homer and a lechethek of barley translates to 30 shekels. Why does that matter? Because that's the price to redeem a slave. It's a price to set a slave free. Can you see Jesus in this? He paid the full price of our sin to set us free from it. So we no longer had to be wandering as Gomer was. And as you see at the end of this, I, I won't go too much into it. Hopefully, prayerfully, we'll get to dive into it Thursday night at Greenhouse. But it ends with Israel here in chapter 3, not having a king, not having an ephod, or not having a religious ceremony or sacrifice till Jesus comes again. And before I get too deep in it, I don't want to go too crazy because we're going to talk about it in a little bit. But have you ever seen the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, as they call it? That's all that's left of the temple. And what it is is Jews go there and they put their prayer requests in the little holes in the wall and they'll recite psalms because they're just hoping that the presence of God will hit them. And they miss Jesus the whole time. See, since 70 AD, no Jew has done a sacrifice on the altar. There have been no religious festivals. 1953 years since that happened. 
So what does this all mean and where is it all going? Because all of a sudden you say, Tyler, I thought this was hope-filled today. Well, I promise you it is hope-filled because Israel sees that there is no king on the throne of David, but we know that our king is from the line of David and he is sitting on his throne today, is he not? At the right hand of God and eventually when he goes and sits on that throne of David, that physical one, when he comes back, then finally Israel will fully see. So now let's talk about what God is mad about. Well, if God loves me so much, how can he be upset and angry? Well, let's talk about Israel's unfaithfulness to God. It's going to be a great word. We're going to talk about four things that God had against Israel. So if you've got your Bible, we're about to be in Hosea 4, so you're just going to easily be able to flip your pages. The first one, prostitution. Didn't think you were going to hear that in church today, but it's a good time. Prostitution. Prostitution. We can see that in Hosea 4, verse 13 and 14, and it says this, if you've got your Bible, they sacrifice on mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, where the shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin." What is Paul's dissertation all the way through Romans? He talks about the Old Testament pointing to Christ. He talks about us understanding. We have to have understanding, knowledge of the mystery of of Christ and is fully revealed in the New Testament. See, the people of God didn't even know who God was. They go to these high mountaintops and they, they go to the lush, pleasant part. In other words, they don't hide their idolatry or hide their prostitution. They do it in the open. And what does that mean? Well, Israel had two gods that they worshiped that were fertility gods. Uh, Actually, three, but we're going to have two, and we'll talk about the other here in a minute. And it is uh, Baal, which is shaped as a cow, a golden cow. The same cow, remember when, when, when Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, they say, we don't know how the cow was formed. We just threw our earrings and rings in there, and it came out of the fire like that. The other is Asherah. And that's a goddess of fertility. So here's what they would do when it comes to prostitution. The ritual was they'd have a big orgy around those. Because if you had an orgy, it meant your family would be fertile and the land would be fertile and the rains would come. Praise God for Jesus. That's all I'm saying. If I stood up here today, hey, y'all, we need some rain. We're in a drought. You should punch me in the throat because that is not of the Lord that we need to do that. These false gods did that. They prostituted themselves. They, they went into rituals, and instead of trusting God, who is sovereign over all, they said, hey, we got to defile ourselves. Leave your keys in the bowl on the way in, all right? If you know, you know. And if that's you, let's pray today because we need to talk about it. You know, that's what they did. And so because of that, they prostituted themselves thinking that was there. And you may say, well, the people, that's crazy. Why do the people do that? But believe it or not, it's because the priests themselves never taught the law of God. Remember when Ezra comes back and he stands up and Nehemiah goes and rebuilds the wall and they they find the law of God and they read it and the people are weeping and in anguish and they want to follow God. The priests don't do it. As a matter of fact, the priest in the church led the people to the prostitution. What would the priest do? Hey guys, we need some rain. We're done with church today. We ain't reading that. Come on outside. Let's go see that cow God. What? That's why Jesus always went against the spiritual leaders when he was on the earth he said hey you've led the people astray it is you who are supposed to help them have knowledge of who i am so the first thing that israel done is it literally physically prostituted itself 
and spiritually prostituted itself. The second thing it did is what we've talked through all the way through is false worship. God is mad at Israel's unfaithfulness, not just for prostitution because they've turned from his law, but false worship. If you've got your Bible, you're going to flip a few pages over in Hosea 7 where we're going to see God talk about this. He says this about Israel. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. Remember, we just talked about the wailing wall for a moment. They slash themselves, appealing to their gods for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. Now, Baal is the one. Remember, uh, Elijah's there in 1 Kings 18, and the prophets of Baal are slashing themselves, and Elijah's making fun of him. He said, maybe Baal's on vacation. That's why he's not answering. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Cut harder. Like, he does all of that to them, but instead, only God is the one that responds, Yahweh, the one true God. This is what God is talking about. The people have never left their ways in that. They continue down that path. See, they only seek God in their calamity. So in other words, they only seek God in the drought, not in the abundance. And the problem and the reason that they do that is it's not with their whole heart all the time. So in other words, it it means this. They blame God for the drought, and they worship Baal for the plenty. So that's where they're stuck. It's, it's false worship. So they, they were so caught up, uh, and we'll talk about this in a moment. They were so caught up that they just wanted to repent to sin some more. So in other words, uh, you know this. <laughs> we talk about this a lot of times, and, and, and if you know, it's why I'm not the greatest, uh, because I'll try to carry your burdens. But when it comes to people all the time, shepherding and walking, the, shepherding's the wrong word. When I say somebody who's stuck in an addiction, and they need help, and they just keep going back to that. It is the grace of God for those that people who have walked through that. But if, if you keep telling me this, I'm 800 pounds, but God, I'm so glad Quincy's is open. Okay, why did you go to Quincy's? Like, that's going to be the answer, right? So there's an addiction we can all talk about. Like, right? Why did you go there? That's hard. And so that's where God is with Israel. They just keep going back to it. Lord, I know that we are in drought. I will never go Go do that in front of Baal again or in front of Ashereth. And sure enough, right after the rain comes, straight out to the orgy. They go straight to it every stinking time. And so God says, I'm done with your worship. See, Israel had the ingredients of worship, but they said, it ain't good enough. That cake ain't good enough. I got to sprinkle a little lot of worship in there, and it stunk up the whole lot. And so they have this false worship. God is reminding them there is no God plus in the worship. If it, when we have worship, if it's all about us, it will never have this, we'll never have the spirit move. Never. But if it's about Jesus, oh, the spirit's gonna move. See, it's not God plus. It's only God that deserves our worship. That's what got Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 stuck up and, and messed up and had us be born in sin is we think that we've got to add something to it or our little flair that it's all about us, but it didn't. If it ain't about God, it ain't worth worshiping and it ain't worth doing, and that's where Israel gets stuck. Their false worship has actually left them without an ally. And what I mean by that is Assyria, what happened is uh, David, we, we talked about this on a Thursday, but we won't go too crazy. When David was king, David was recognized as king in Judah before he was in Israel. And he unites the kingdom. And then after Solomon, it falls apart again. And you have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel. And what happens is they battle all the time. 
And Israel says, you know what? We're ten tribes. You're two. So we want to defeat you because we want your land. So, but the problem is we need an ally for it. So we're going to go ask the Assyrians to help us. The Assyrians actually don't help Israel defeat Judah. They say, ooh, you're in distress. We're just going to take you into exile. And that's exactly what happens. And what does Israel do? Well, they keep worshiping Baal and Ashereth and Moloch, we're going to talk about in a minute, thinking, God, we need something on our side. We need something on our side instead of seeking God the whole time. And so their false worship has left them without God being on their side. So when we talked about worship, we, we've talked about it last week and, and we've walked all the way through. God is saying, you didn't seek me with your heart. You cared more about what you looked like in worship instead of what you were worshiping. And it reminds me of Psalm 139, 23 and 24. What is it that David says when he writes that? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and try me in all my anxieties. Relinquish my evil ways and show me your way to everlasting life. It's a great prayer. I pray it every day because I definitely need it. Anxiety, come on, we can all agree, right? See, that's what helps my worship be where it's supposed to be. Let's look at number three, Hosea 8. I promise you there's some hope here, church. Y'all getting getting beat up, but if it's hitting us hard because it hit me hard, it's the Holy Spirit moving in all of us. The third is idols. Not American idols, not British idols, whatever we call it, but idols, idols. Look, in chapter 8, verse 5 through 6, it says this. Samaria, throw out your calf idol. That is Baal. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. This calf a metal worker has made. It is not God. It will be broken to pieces, that calf of Samaria. Now, when we look at this, see, Samaria, we got to be reminded, so I'm gonna, I hope we can piece it all together here for just a moment. So I just talked to you about the Civil War. You're going to see God's redemption here in a second, and I love it, through Jesus in a parable that he told. But God, God has Samaria. Remember, Samaria is the northern kingdom. What happened is those ten kingdoms are taken away into Assyrian exile, and they never get an edict to return back. So that's why we call them the ten lost tribes, okay? But... The southern kingdom of of Judah and Benjamin go back. Remember, they are set free. That's when Nehemiah goes back and rebuilds the wall. They actually get to go back to their lands after 70 years. So why does this matter? Well, as we will see in Jesus' parable in a minute, the northern kingdom of Samaria had a political center. That is the Samaritan that Jesus met at the well. They hated the Jews, and the Jews hated them. They called the Samaritans half-breeds. Because there was no way. They, the, those ten tribes, they intermarried in with, uh, with Gentiles, and so they didn't believe they were fully God's people. And so they fought continuously all the time. So much when we get to Jesus' time, they actually try to avoid the northern kingdom of Samaria. They try to avoid that time. So Samaria is this political capital, uh, this political capital or where all the political center is in the northern kingdom of Israel. And inside of that, uh, you know how we have our dome at the capital? They just got a big old cow that says eat more chicken. I'm just kidding. It's bad. We're not against Chick-fil-A. We have to thank that, but they're not open today, and I wanted to make you hungry and mad about it. So that being said, more on that in a minute in Jesus fulfilling your physical needs. So that being said, uh, they have this big cow, but the problem is, it's with an eye shot of the worship center of the northern kingdom, which is Bethel. We know about Bethel. We talked about that all the way through. That's where Jacob has his dream. He builds an altar. Abram builds an altar there. That is the place of worship. And what would happen is instead of the people going to Bethel, they decided that they needed to go to Samaria when things were going great. 
But when things were going bad, they decided church was enough. Glad that doesn't happen today. But wherever that is, the problem was the idols that they set up. So these two idols they had is Baal and Molech. Baal and Molech are the two idols that they uh, would worship. Now, Baal and Molech are both seen as cow gods, okay? So when I say they're both seen as cow gods, they're both depicted as a cow god. Here's the difference, really quick. So uh, Baal was a golden calf that you see just a calf, right? Molech, though, was a calf with people arms, and he had a little furnace in his belly. It's kind of like mine. It's a furnace, right? But he had a furnace in his belly, and this is what's wrong. When you hear people today talk about Molech, this is why when people talk about abortion, they say that we are about Molech right now. What the people believed is they would throw their, their kids, their firstborn, and sacrifice their children. They would throw them in the furnace, hoping that they could have fertility in the land. That's how they would worship Moloch. As a matter of fact, whole families would decide that they, if they could walk through the furnace and make it through on the other side, they would be blessed. Points to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, doesn't it? They thought that if they did that, then they could have fertility in the land and continued to do that. God is saying, sacrifice the bull, sacrifice the ram, and the people are sacrificing themselves, and that's the problem with idols. Idols require us to sacrifice to them, and we carry the idols to give them credence and room in our life. But God sacrifices to carry us so that we can be blessed through Christ. Think about that. Only God does that. That is where Israel is stuck. They are stuck. They are trying to continually go to these idols. And so now that we're all beat up about it, I, I hope you're not beat up. I believe there's a message of hope in here, I believe, because I'm so thankful we live on this side of the cross and have a hope that is in Christ. But I will tell you this as I was getting ready. And so maybe this is just for me today. You already know where I'm going because we talked about it a million times. Before we beat Israel up about their idols, how about any of us have this little thingy? I shared it the other week uh, I remember when, uh, when you could have a non-cordless phone, you know? I remember in middle school, I had to have a long cord so you could bring it all the way to your room so mom wouldn't listen. You didn't think about, she just picked up the other receiver, but we won't open that. I wasn't always the brightest, but these little things. See, we love to beat up people who smoke, but there's a reason this is the size of a pack of cigarettes. Let me ask you this, let me ask you this. How, this it's supposed to make your life easier and more rewarding. But let's think, since this has come in our life, does this free our time up more or less? A lot less, doesn't it? Hey, let me ask you this. I remember growing up, and mom would say, call me when you get there. Now you can text, but you would, you would call, right? You would have to call. Sometimes you would have to call when you were getting ready to go home because the door was locked, and she said it's too late, so you're going to have to figure out how to get in the house, and so you'd leave a little window open, but we won't open that. Uh, pray for me. It's all right. That's why Jesus has me here. But this is instant. When somebody texts you, don't you have this anxiety? Like, do I text them back right now? What do I got to do? Like, it suffers more of your time. So in other words, we carry this thing around for us, and we sacrifice more for it than all of a sudden resting in the Lord and what Jesus has called us to do. Now, I'm not saying that this tool can't be used for God's glory. Hear me out. It can. But before we beat up the idols of Israel, let me ask you, maybe this wasn't it, but I remember I am getting older. I'm not that old. But I remember when we only had one TV in the house. How many of us have more than one TV now? Like if your kid don't have a TV in the room, you consider yourself poor. It's crazy. 
So before we beat them up about idols, I think that this is a good, good thing for us because in the end, we get to share with the world whether God has my cell phone or not. Everything in this world will fade. It will die. But Christ and Christ alone will be standing in the end. And only those who trust him as Lord and Savior will be the ones who get to walk in his victory and ain't going to be dead. And so as we have these idols, Israel kept going to the dead things that they had to fashion out and hoping that it would save them. And God's saying, I'm your salvation, Hosea, right here. But let's look at the last thing really quickly as we get through it. So we've talked about the the prostitution, the false worship, and the idols. The fourth reason God is upset at Israel for being unfaithful is this, religion. Religion. Now, if you've got your Bible, flip back a few pages. You're going to be in Hosea 6, verse 6, and it's where we're going to spend the rest of our time, the rest of our five hours here today together in God's name. But really quick, it says this, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. See, the religion of Israel left them worrying about how they looked when they brought their sacrifices instead of living out that sacrifice, which is mercy. In other words, they had all the right answers on Sunday. They wore the right shirt. They said all the platitudes. They had it down. They knew all the saying. They rehearsed all the lines. But when they got outside, that string of four-letter words they put together would make your mama faint. Like, it's just one of them things. It's the thing they say about the waitress at lunch because it took them five more minutes to go fill your tea, as you said about them, was not mercy-filled. Instead, if somebody saw that at church, you'd be upset. That's where Israel was. So they brought their sacrifices to God and made sure God knew that they saw it. Hey, God, here's what I'm bringing. You see me, right? They treated them just like the idols. And so as we look at this, this is why Israel was stuck. Paul writes it this way. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. I won't go too crazy in it, but we know 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. But if you look At the verse right before that, this is the freedom we have in Christ. Paul says, now we look as in, now we see it as a reflection, as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. In other words, we get to see glimpses of heaven on earth right now, but when we're in heaven for eternity, we'll be face to face with God, right? So now all of a sudden we know that that happens, but how he finishes that verse is important for us. He says, now I know in part but then I will fully know as I'm fully known. That's God telling each and every one of us, I love you, not just a Sunday you. See, religion will tell you you gotta clean yourself up and that's where Israel was. What Israel missed and what I hope you understand what following Jesus is about. It's not what he can do for you, It's not about how much he can bless you. As a matter of fact, it's really, and this is gonna sound sound like I'm being sacrilegious, but it's not, I promise I'm going somewhere. It's not about him saving you from hell. It's about you knowing him and you being fully known by him. Knowing the character of God will want you to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbors as yourself because you understand mercy is greater than sacrifice because you know the God who created you. 
The benefit of that and God's character and his grace and mercy is eternal life, everlasting life. Absolutely. Saved from hell. That's amazing. But if you're just doing this so you don't go to hell, you're missing out. And that's where Israel was. They were missing out on the full promise of God. And what you open the door for is making room in your life for things that should not be in there when you should only be making room for Christ and Christ alone and what he calls you to do. That is the good deeds he prepared for us in advance to do by living out love God and love others. Why is Hosea 6 important? All right, Jesus quotes Hosea 6 in two occasions. We're almost there. Two occasions. If you got your Bible, go ahead and get to Matthew 9. And while you turn there, the first occasion is in Matthew 12, verse 1 through 8. Uh, if you're familiar with it or not, he quotes Hosea 6, 6. And, and what happens is, is, just if you remember really quickly, what happens is the disciples are hungry. It is Sunday. You know, they've been waiting for the yeast rolls for a while at Ways, and they just ain't rolled them out. Or, uh, it just is what it is. Uh, a little busy that day. Uh, all that to say they were waiting, so they plucked grain heads. And the Pharisees look at them. You know, the deacons in the back of the church look at them that are, that are out there going to that all-you-can-eat buffet at Quincy's and, and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff on the back end, you know, uh, chain-smoking uh, uh, Krispy Kreme donut glaze, uh, all that to say. They're at the back doing that, and the Pharisees see that, and they say, don't you know they can't eat on the Sabbath? Jesus says in Matthew 12, don't you know that David ate the showbread that was only for the peace when he and his men were hungry, when he was running from Saul? You should get to know I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I am Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is declaring right there, I am your Sabbath rest. So the physical need that we have gets to be fulfilled by Jesus. But we're going to see in Matthew 9, 9, the second time, 9 through 13, the second time Jesus quotes Hosea 6, 6. If you're with me, give me an amen. I hear amens in the house of the Lord. Here we go. Verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, here it is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he's not talking about our physical condition, but our spiritual one, church. So Matthew 12 is our physical. Matthew 9 is our spiritual. Look at verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the Pharisees thought themselves righteous and whole. And what Jesus did is he upset their apple cart, their status. He hated them even more. Who is he to say that he's the son of God? I'm closer to God. That is why in Hosea they go to mountaintops because false gods will say, I got to get closer to the false god to have the blessing. But God says, just get down on your knees and you'll get to be a part of my blessing. Prayer. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here, you're missing out. Matthew, think about this. Matthew, he's a tax collector. So what Matthew does is when he experiences God's mercy and experiences Jesus, Jesus said, follow him. He trusts him as his Lord and Savior. Matthew doesn't keep it to himself. He shares it with the masses. As a matter of fact, he tells his family and friends, we got a barbecue. Come on over to the house. We're going to have a big old cookout. Hey, if I've wronged you, show up. I'm going to make it right. And if you've wronged me, I don't even care if you make it right because I need you to hear about this guy named Jesus. Isn't that mercy? That's mercy. That's mercy. Mercy is sharing the love of Christ when you really don't benefit anything from it because he did that for us. See, the Pharisees miss that out. They don't understand mercy. And really quick, the last thing 
It's not going to be Hosea 6.6, but when it comes to mercy, it's a familiar story. If you've grown up in church, didn't grow up in church, you know this one. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. It's called the good what, church? Samaritan, right? Do you see God redeeming Hosea? What was the northern kingdom called? Samaria. And they were called Samaritans. Can you see God's faithfulness? So Jesus tells the story, if you don't know it, just really quickly, what happened is a man uh, was going from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. He's on the road. Thieves rob him. They strip him naked. They beat him. They leave him for dead. And a priest comes by at first, and he's already running late for church, and I got something to do. They're waiting for me at church right now. I got to get on to the house, so I can't touch you because I'm going to be unclean. After that, a Levite comes, and a Levite says, man, I can't touch that guy. I know he's left for dead, and he's crying for help, but I got to walk past him because if I touch him, I'm unclean, and what are the people going to do? if they bring a sacrifice to me and I can't give it to the Lord, I can't, I can't bear that weight. So I don't need to have anything to do with that. And all of a sudden, a Samaritan comes along and he binds up the man's wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He brings him to an inn. He tells the innkeeper, hey, I'm paying his tab. If this isn't enough, I will bring you more the next time I come through. Why in the world am I sharing that and why in the world does that matter? The reason Jesus told the parable is a Pharisee was standing there, a teacher in the law, and all of a sudden he asked Jesus what the two greatest commandments were, and Jesus asked him, how do you interpret the law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, go do that, and you'll have life. So the Pharisee tried to justify himself and said, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells the good Samaritan. But if you remember how the story ends, Jesus looks, how the parable ends, Jesus looks at the expert in the law and says, which one was the neighbor to the man that was left robbed, naked, beaten, and for dead? And the Pharisee says this, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Mercy. It ain't about, hey, when we celebrate every, every Sunday, when we celebrate how much God has allowed us to give to global missions, it ain't got nothing about the, do about the number. It's about the heart. It's the mercy of God that we get to be a part of it. God desires mercy more than sacrifice. In other words, the priest said, I got somewhere to be, so I can't mess with this person, so I can't have mercy on them. The Levite said, what I'm doing is too important, so therefore I can't mess with this. And they both missed out because they cared more about the sacrifice than the mercy that was there. In church, that's what sets us apart for the world. Because the world will tell you, as these little thingies will say, it's about your sacrifice. And I'm not telling you, it doesn't mean we don't work hard. It doesn't mean that, that we don't go hard at what God's called us to do. But God, if we, could, if we could sacrifice enough to get to God, we would have no need for Christ. But you see, we never can. And that's why Jesus came in spite of us, for us. We can never be righteous enough. The Pharisees knew that, so they just kept adding those 600 plus laws. And Jesus said, hey, it's the one thing I desire, Hosea 6, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. Why? What is it that, how does that end in Hosea 6, 6? Not only that, he desires acknowledgement of God, knowing God more than burnt offerings. See, Jesus came to defeat death, sin, hell, and the grave for us, but only those who have trusted him as Matthew did to follow him are the ones who live in his victory and get to walk in his mercy. I'm just going to give you the truth. The truth is this. Not only does God's word not return void, but God's wrath will be felt for sin. Either God's word will be the death of sin through Christ Jesus, who bore the wrath of God for us. That is the death of sin for us, the eternal sacrifice for us. 
or God's wrath will be death of the sinner. There is no in-between. It's one or the other. Only one is offering mercy. The other tries to earn mercy. Only Christ and his sacrifice, him and him crucified and risen again, is mercy. Mercy. Unreceived punishment. Mercy. Christ bore the punishment for us. When we try to save ourselves, we are asking for the punishment, the wrath of God. And I promise you, you can never work yourself up enough to do it. And religion will make you do that. But God values relationship. I'm going to end how I started. Have you ever made room for something in your house that you knew you had to have, but it always seemed out of place? And then have you ever made room for something that was too good to be true and it was just what you needed? Israel made room in their life for Baal, Moloch, and Asherah, and they thought, I had to have this to make my life complete. And because that didn't satisfy them, they said, well, then I have to make more room for Asherah, Asherah, Baal, and Moloch. And then that didn't satisfy them. So they said, I have to make more room for Asherah, Baal, and Moloch. And I have to have more stuff. And I have to make more room. And I have to make more room. And God is saying, Jesus is saying to us, just make room for me. And you will always be eternally satisfied. Because he is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It doesn't require anything but to make room for him. And how do we make room for him? Faith. Faith. Faith that he is who he says he is. One more time. God loves you and not just the Sunday you. God loves you just as he loved Gomer. He loves us in the midst of our sin and he made a way for us in the midst of our sin. He actually loves us enough that when we trust him as our Lord and Savior, he loves us enough not to keep us in that way of sin, but help us be everything we were created to be. But we have to have faith. This is what I want to be reminded of today as we get ready to close. Those who are in Christ Jesus, I pray this is a reminder for all of us to step boldly in God's mercy, share his mercy as Matthew did. For those who have wronged us and for those we have wronged, be a space and a place for the mercy of God. But I want all of us to be reminded of where we were before we knew Christ. See, your past mistakes, your future failures, your present circumstances where you fall short, none of that stands in light of Christ. None of that disqualifies you from trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. None of that disqualifies the salvation that he came to bring. It's the only way you're disqualified from having it is if you don't have faith in him, that he is who he says he is. He lived the perfect, sinless life we couldn't live as we just read about Israel not doing. What did that do? It made us righteous. What does that mean? It gives us the way to have right standing with God. But not only that, Jesus said, hey, I don't want you just to have right standing with God because the only way to be in the presence of God requires a sacrifice now. So when you open the door to sit with God, you gotta have a sacrifice to go in there. So instead of you worrying about the sacrifice to bring, I'm actually going to pay the sacrifice for you on the cross. So then he is our eternal sacrifice once and for all. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work toward it. We don't have to 
climb that ladder to get to God. He is here right now. But Jesus said, hey, I'm not even done. I love you enough that I'm not going to stay dead, but I'm going to defeat the thing you're afraid of most in this life, and that is death. And I'm going to defeat death, hell, grave, and I'm going to leave an empty tomb to remind you to be all that you were created to be, that you can be fully known, and you can fully know Creator God, the thing that you are trying to make room for in your life. And so for each and every one of us, the question is, whether you're in the house or online, will you make room for Jesus today? If you've made room for Jesus, will you worship him? Will you give him the glory, honor, and praise? Will you go share him in the streets? Because the one thing is undeniable about the mercy and grace of God, and it's found in John 3, 16 and 17. Reminds us that nothing disqualifies us from God. Nothing disqualifies us from Christ. But our disbelief, our unbelief, our faith in anything other than him. John 3, 16 and 17 is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God is not angry with you just like Hosea goes and he wraps his arms around Gomer and says, you're coming with me. You're coming where you belong. He's standing there with open arms asking, will you trust him today? God loves you, not just the Sunday evening. So with every head bow and every eye closed, the reason we do what we do each and every week is to remind those who are in Christ Jesus about his mercy, about his faithfulness, about sharing him with everyone he places in our path. And those who don't know Christ Jesus, that they would consider making room for him today, that they would trust him as Lord and Savior for the first time. And so we're about to say a prayer. It's not the words of this prayer that saves you. It's the faith that Jesus is who he says he is. And we pray out loud as a family together for benefit of those coming to faith for the first time. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, please repeat these words out loud after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life. I couldn't live. Died the death I deserve paying the penalty for my sins on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed, if you can say for the first time you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have confessed and repented of your sins, you have surrendered lordship of your life, you have made room for Christ today. If that's you and the first time you've done that, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If that's you, if you're in the house or online, one, two, three, would you raise your hand today? If for the first time you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're listening throughout the week, you can do a raised hand emoji. You can shoot us a message at 580-6698. That's an 864 area code, 864-580-6698. You can reach out to us on all social media uh, through message, whatever that looks like. And the reason we want to know that is it's not so that we get credit, but we want to give God the glory and give him the credit. And we want to help you continue to grow to be who you were created to be in a local church near you. For the rest of us, you can go ahead and stand up. We're about to go into worship. And in this worship, maybe you have not done this today. Maybe your mind has been racing and you say, Tyler, I'm so glad that we finally get to worship in this moment. And I'm thankful that you're here if that's the case. Maybe you're figuring out 
man, that line at Wade's is gonna be crazy when we finally get out of here. I'm gonna ask you just for a moment, make room for Jesus in this time. Make room for Jesus. Whatever he has for you, make room for Jesus. And I promise you that lunch at Wade's will be more fulfilling than it's ever been. That lunch at, in the drive-through is gonna be more fulfilling. But the thing is, if you don't make room for Jesus, you don't get the full blessing. You miss out. So let's sing together.
All right, church, I'm so thankful we have got to gather here today. We're about to pray because we're going to pray up this Hope Tour, but I'm going to tell you what. We've made room for you on Saturday night at 6 p.m. at Church Builders Tabernacle. There's room for your fanny in this house and your children's fannies in that room. I promise you they will have the best sugar high, but more importantly, they're going to learn about Jesus on their level next Sunday at 10 a.m. But most importantly, Jesus will bless how we have made room for him to move and do whatever he wants to as we go throughout this week. So let's pray, and then we're going to get ready to come back here and gather next week. Jesus, thank you that as we make room for you, you are faithful and just to move through it. Jesus, everything that we are holding on to right now, Jesus, I just pray that we would leave it at your feet and that we would trust you to do what only you can do and only pick up what you call us to pick up. So Jesus, as we go out into the street, we pray that your love, your grace, and your mercy would be so fully seen upon us that others can't help but ask what we've got. And we get to share the hope that we have in you, the hope that is not found in this world. So Jesus, I just pray over every person in this house, everyone who is listening online throughout the week, that they would be bold and courageous and be willing to share you because we have what this world can never offer. Jesus, we lift up the hope tour. We pray for the souls right now. We pray for hearts to be softened to the Holy Spirit's prompt. We pray that people would come out of the woodworks, Jesus. We pray that they would have to cut a hole in the roof to get people in that place. And I tell you right now, we'll cut a hole in this roof and get them in this place on Sunday morning too. So Jesus, we just pray that we would be obedient to you. And we pray that we would be bold enough to say, come sit with me at Hope Tour 2023. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name and for your glory. Amen. We'll see you next week. The best is still yet to come.